I feel like we should get like an opening bit going from time to time. Maybe. Maybe eventually. We should probably also script out our social medias. Huh. So we don't have huh. to randomly kind of bumble through them. Interesting. 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 Actually, that is them. that is definitely an option. If you want to get on that, then feel free. Yeah, sure. It'll take me like two minutes. Not not right now, because we're actually doing the thing. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Speaking of our socials, uh, you can follow us on... Well, actually, we should probably introduce ourselves first. I'm Connor. And I'm Sam. And we are the Dungeon Bros. We love talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And this podcast in particular, we will be talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Both the Dungeons and the Dragons. As we often like to do. As we are one, one to do. Yes, you can find us on uh, Dungeon Bros YT on TikTok. As well as YouTube, thus the YT in our name. YouTube. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitch. We're not going live right now, but if we do, we'll be there. Uh, also, you can join our Discord server. And I want to shout out, we had we had someone that isn't one of our friends, someone that we don't know, join our Discord server. Yes, it's very exciting. Very, very exciting. exciting. Very exciting. Uh, I want to give a shout out to this person. Not because they joined the Discord. We're not going to do this for everybody. But because their name is <laughs> Send Me Hentai. I saw that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to reiterate that the rules of the Discord do state no NSFW or sexually explicit content or images of gore. Specifically. Gore specifically. Yes, yes, yes. So, alas, we will not be able to send you hentai. I also don't tend to have hentai available to send at a moment's notice. Yeah, nor nor do I. So Yeah. Yeah. So not it, to not to harsh anybody's mellows, it's not my thing. Very good. Very good. So Samuel. Yes, that is me. You know of the existence of one Brennan Lee Mulligan. Yes. I I enjoy watching Brennan Lee Mulligan. Uh he is an inspiration when it comes to the chaos of running D D for me. Very good. Um recently I found a uh YouTube short that came across my feed where they were asking uh they were they were doing an interview with brendan lee mulligan and they asked him a question a question that really got me thinking it, it made it made me put on my sherlock holmes hat if you mm. will okay figuratively i don't own one though yeah. I, that would be rather cool if you were to bust a nut in the astral sea mm. would the force of the nut propel you opposite equal and opposite as we know in the laws of physics Equal and opposite reaction. Yes. Forces. All that. All that jazz. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the third rule of something. I don't know. I'm not in high school anymore, so I don't <laughs> remember. In your learned opinion, studied, cultured, some might say, if you were to nut into the astral sea, would you begin moving? Right. So, of course, this um, this question has a, a number of factors that you must consider. And I think that there's a lot of mis, uh, misunderstanding between the question being asked and and the idea behind it. Mm. Uh, mm. The question being asked is is not taking in the correct lore of the astral sea. It is taking in the physics of a vacuum in, of space where mm. uh, when, yes, in space, if you push that way, you go, or if you blow air that way, you will go that way, equal and opposite. Yes, um, yes. That is... That is, so if you bust a nut in space and you were able to be outside of your spacesuit and breathe and not die or freeze to death or yeah. all of all of those things, uh, yes, that would happen. The astral sea, if I, if I, if my memory serves correct, um, it often does. It often does. Yes, 
Often doesn't as well, but we'll... that's a different story. But in the astral sea, I believe movement is done by power of mind. Mm. So mm. if we're saying the action of busting a nut uh, is what would move you due to physics, I would say no, because that's that's there's no f- physics in the astral sea. Very but good. the thought of that you need to get to climax uh indeed that that is a very powerful set of of astral sea uh propulsion i would say hmm, hmm, hmm. now that is a very intelligent answer for my answer i will instead say both you and brendan lee mulligan are wrong yes you are propelled by thought in the astral sea and and what is what is a term that we have for thought beyond the nut if you will Post, post-nut clarity. Uh-huh. The post-nut clarity. I feel that the state of mind that you enter in post-nut clarity will indeed propel you through space in the astral sea. As the astral sea knows. It knows what you just did in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's well aware. Yeah. And it would want, it would, it would want you to get away <laughs> after what happened <laughs> in the astral sea. <laughs> So, so you're so, saying that this actually might be a plane shift. Yes, the Astro 3 will just plane shift you out of there. 100%. You would file the Astro C. It would, it would, the nut, the nut would propel you backwards through the plane shift back into either your native plane or possibly it may want to take revenge and thus put you on, say, pandemonium, mm. if you will. That being said. That being said. Still not necessarily the force of the ejaculate. Well, very fair. Very fair. I can allow that. Moving on. This has been a conversation we have had. This has been a very good conversation. I've ruined my life recently. Okay, be more uh, explicit. I downloaded onto my phone Ah, a a game. If you are a fan of D&D on TikTok, you have probably been made aware of this game at the very least. Uh, Magic the Gathering, specifically Magic the Gathering Arena, the mobile version. And um, I can I can feel it taking hold in my life. I didn't play it today, and I like I feel like I'm missing out on my dailies, and I don't like that. I don't like I don't I love the concept of dailies in theory. In practice, it just gives me anxiety. I'm mm. Not a fan. That being said, Magic the Gathering is quite a good game. <laughs> it's quite a fun game to play. There is also an entire set recently released this year of Magic the Gathering cards completely surrounding D&D. Mm-hmm. And I have, not seriously, toyed with the idea of how fun it would be to do live streams of opening packs of D&D Magic the Gathering cards in an attempt to collect the entire set of D&D Magic the Gathering cards. I'm not going to ask if it's a good idea. Mm, because you already know my answer. Because I know that you're going to say it's a bad idea. Yes. And I'm inclined to believe you. Mm, good. Good. But have you ever thought about it not being a bad idea? I mean, if you are interested in opening the packs of cards because you want all of the cards, sure, go for it. Uh, don't uh, don't expect this to be, uh, you know. Look, I've I've seen I've seen a lot of TikTok pages. I've seen a lot of YouTube pages. The uh, the live stream pack opening as well as the pack opening videos. Very popular. Mm-hmm. Very popular. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the resale value of these cards. I mean, this cardboard. We're talking like five to ten per card. Five to ten being cents. Yes. Per card. With other cards being as much as five to ten whole dollars. 
some. Not all. Very rare. But I would imagine that a nice card binder with all of these D&D Magic the Gathering cards, the full set, a lot of them being hollow because, you know, you get the rare one. You get the hollow cards. You know, you're going you're to have a nice little set there that on eBay might go for a, a decent amount of change. A good chunk of change. I probably wouldn't sell it because it, it would put a lot of work into it. Yeah, that's... Um... But, it, but an eventual, you know, when they become vintage in a decade. Another thing we could do is, is presumably you will have, unless you just have the best of luck and some random god gives you every card you want on the first open, well, the first set of openings, uh, we'll probably have a lot of random magic cards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we um, will. Yeah, we will. Uh, copious amount. Copious amount. What I've always thought would be cool to do is do resin pour ta- a, a resin pour table, mm. and you have some sort of... Uh, when I was younger, I collected, well, collected, I had a, a menagerie of Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, and Digimon cards. That Digimon my mo- cards? They I had, had Digimon they had cards. They had cards. Wow. My mother made me get rid of them when I was like 12. That's, um, that's, that's bullshit. Right? I need, I need to have a word with her. Uh, but uh, yeah, like if I still had those today, I would probably not sell them because they'd probably be beat up and worthless. But if I were, if I, I would like to do a, a resin pour table. I think that'd, that'd be, be really fun. cool. Um, yeah. Be a great nerdy addition. Yeah. And the t- table we have over there, uh, while functional, is kind of ugly. Uh, yes, the coffee table is uh, a right nasty piece of shit. Yes, um, it functions as it a table, especially once you once you uh, fix the leg on it, and it no longer just fall, fell apart. I mean, apart. what's the table if it doesn't fall apart from time to time? You know, uh, a regular table. Very good. Uh, my brother, um, back when we lived together, he built himself a desk, much like I did. And he did a resin bore on top of uh, comic book cutouts. Mm. I'm not sure if he actually cut out comic books. I think some of them some of them were actual comic books, but I feel like some of them might have been like printouts of comic book covers and stuff. And he had this menagerie of uh, superhero and Star Wars characters poured on uh, underneath the resin that he poured on the top of his table. It turned out quite well. If you are willing to undertake this task, then feel free. Mm, well, I, will, I will allow it. So, I mean, of course, this is assuming you do the card openings. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not really just going to go out and, and buy packs of cards when well, I'm I mean, not going to. I mean, you still have Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon cards. You can make a nice end table at the very least. Uh, no, all of my cards. I, my, when I was 12, my mom married All of them. All of Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon, Digimon cards. Sorry, bud. My blue eyes. So, anyway, this is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast where we like to keep up to date with the goings on, the news, as some might say, of the Dungeons and the Dragons. Oftentimes, we're probably not going to have a, a meaty subject to to dig into, like the Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons, or like uh, the G Four D and D television show that we talked about on episodes one and two, respectively. Yes, unfortunately, a lot of D and D news is very slow coming, just due to the nature of the beast being. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you get a lot of shit in a week, so that's true. And then you get, then we'll have a jam packed one. But for this week, uh, a couple small things that I want to get to, and then uh, Wizards of the Coast put out a uh, article re- requesting opinions on D and D spells, presumably for an updated version of Fifth Edition, a five point five edition, if you will. But before we get to that, uh, first we have from comicbook.com, Wizards of the Coast is apparently setting up to release a new mini, a shocker to us all, I know. This miniature is very special, horrifying, 
and I both really, really want it, but never want to witness it in my entire life. And that is a large miniature of the Elder Brain Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, as we discussed in our Fizzman's Treasury of Dragons episode, terrifying creature. Terrifying. Borderline an abomination. Not in creature type, but in existence. And my question for you mm-hmm. is, how much do you think this miniature is going to cost and then how much money would I have to pay you to not buy that miniature just to torture me at home? <laughs> um, so based on uh, the fact that I don't look at large miniatures that all, well, huge miniatures that often, um, the one I do have was given to me as a present. Uh, very nice one. Very nice one. Very nice one. Um, but I, I mean, I was at the game store this past weekend and glancing at some of the other dragons they had. They were, most of them were clocking in somewhere between... 50 and 70 dollars so i'd imagine somewhere in there 50 or 70 dollars uh and i would say um well if i'm if i if i'm if i'm planning to throw an elder brain dragon at you anyway uh it's probably going to be at least uh triple to not let me but to make me not buy it otherwise i will accept a small loan of a million dollars uh or, or, you know, you buy canes a couple times. Mm, mm, mm. I never go to canes. Guthrie's. It's out of the way. It's an abomination, and I don't want it in the house, but if it is going to be in the house, I will probably purchase it. It myself. is an adorable slime puppy. <sighs> I mean, you're allowed to be wrong about that. And, and you we'll are. breathe tadpoles upon you that will turn you into a mind flare. That's hot. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Geektyrant.com. Yes. You know Hasbro. I do know Hasbro. The company Hasbro. I am familiar with them. Uh, Apparently, they have a production company as well. Hasbro E1. And apparently, Hasbro's E1 is developing, quote-unquote, several programs in D&D Universe. Now, when I hear D&D Universe, I have a lot of questions. Is this a G4 situation where they're going to be doing a live play D&D show? This distribution, as we we discussed in episode two, this distribution channel is going to be a lot better than television. Mm-hmm. At least my my guess would be, but the fact that they specify D and D universe shows makes me believe that this is going to be a series of shows that may take place in Eberron, may take place in Strixhaven, may take place in the Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, etc., etc., and so mm-hmm. on. Would you be interested in a tel- in a television show, single series, mini series, full run, multi season show? In the various D&D universes. I'd be hesitant to jump into any of them. I mean, uh, uh, turning, um, you know, turning a lot of pop culture things that are not traditionally television and or movies and they're, they're interactive into passive sorts of media. You know, I mean, uh, um, League of Legends just put out, had their show Arcane just come out recently on mm-hmm. Netflix. Uh, Dota did that this uh this year as well i believe and a couple others and those are definitely if you're not part of the fandom it's very hard to get into i know Mm -hmm. because i tried uh uh, with the dota one um i haven't tried with arcane yet i've never played league of legends from what i've heard arcane is very good even to non league of legends players i think is really the key there and I'd be kind of well. So my, my my real curiosity is how they would do them. Would they do them in this animated style? Would they do them in a in a live play sort of ordeal? Um, and given, furthermore, given that it's Hasbro, sorry to interrupt. No, go for but it. But given that it's Hasbro, 
and their production company is called E1. I would assume it would be animation of some kind. That's kind of their wheelhouse. It'd be, I think it'd be a bit weird for Hasbro to announce a live action Everon show. Okay. You know, like I could, I could see like Netflix or HBO doing something like that. But given that it is Hasbro, I feel like animation really is the way to go, and that's what I would expect. My, but uh, ultimately, each of these different D and D universes has a different feel. Um, they were, I mean, they've been created over over many many different years and have been created with many different purposes like for example ravenloft very very much created to be horror or spooky very, very castlevania yeah other i know um others are have been created to be just pure fantasy some have been your forgotten realms your yeah. dragon lance yes. some have been created to be more colonial some have been created yeah there's so many i would be curious as if they were to do do them how would they differentiate them? I agree. I think I think a lot of them have enough difference inherent in them that it wouldn't be that big of an issue to tell. But what I would love to see, love to see, don't make it a bunch of shows. Make a long one season and have like, here's an ep here's episode one and it's in Eberron. Here's episode two and it's in Ravenloft. Here's episode three and it's in Strixhaven. And like they jump around to all the universes and they just kind of very loosely tie things together. And then you have this epic season finale of someone say like Jace the Mind Sculptor, Planeswalker, starting to collect people from different universes and then create a multiverse. You mm. know, kind of, kind of speed ahead to what the MCU is doing. With what if. A little well, kind of like what if, yeah, kind of like what pretty if. much, yeah. All yeah, the different what if universes it. finally being collapsed upon because mm -hmm. the 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 watcher watched, and, yeah. I, and even if you were, if they're doing a series, several of these shows, you know, doing them as mini series that can then converge together in a multiversal sort of way. The multiverse of D and D, very vast, mm -hmm. quite vast. And a lot of interesting uh, interactions can happen. You can establish these different material planes of existence. You can establish the concept of things like the Feywild or the, the ethereal plane, that kind of stuff. And then a conf and then much like D and D adventures, where it's like, all right, we're saving the town from a pack of gnolls. To all right, we're traveling to Pandemonium to rescue our unconscious friend that drew a card from the deck of many things, and their soul is trapped in a gem in a tower in the plane of Pandemonium. Search for Grog. Mm -hmm. I think taking if you're going to really properly do D and D, and not just an interesting fantasy universe, you got to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And and I think if they're going if they're going to be setting D and D shows in the various material planes that are existing in D&D proper published works. I mean at that point, why not have them crossover? I I think I think we are spoiled for choice when it comes to crossovers yes. these days. Hmm. It's been a crossover decade for sure. I I actually something I'm, I just kind of thought of and I'm very curious about is um so I I play in uh, a Star Wars D&D campaign and there's a there's a big difference because I mean, the, the systems are very different anymore, but D&D can really be anything. I mean, I've, I've watched you run some games. I've, you know, you've, you've played in uh, the game, I, a game I run and, uh, you know, we play in another friend's game and together and, and they're just all vastly different. But with us, with the Star Wars one, no matter if you're, even if you're just a casual Star Wars fan, you kind of know about Star Wars. Like there's, there's a thing to know and you can, 
you know, point to a thing and say, that's not how Star Wars works. I'm very curious as if, if they started with these TV series, like, oh, these are official realms of D&D, like how that will change the perspective of people who start playing D&D. Like maybe somebody watches these shows because it's a neat, maybe it's a great animated show and you can just hop in and it's really fun. And then somebody starts playing, you know, D&D and, and uh, a longtime DM who maybe hasn't watched the shows or wants to continue playing the way they've always played goes, you know, this is, this is my world. And they go, that's not how it is in Eberron. Mm. It'd be it'd be weird to have an Eberron show. It would it would be weird to have a uh, an Eberron show without Warforged. It would be weird to have a Theros show without the Greek gods or without the the lion folk, the Leonin. I don't even remember. that might be what they're called. I don't know. I don't know. So you know if they stay if they stay true to the source material, if they stay true to the setting, which I'm sure they will. A lot of them are kind of generic fantasy. That's true. And it just, yeah. So I think they'll be cool. If it has decent distribution and the shows aren't shit, I might watch them. Moving on. Moving on. The bulk of today is uh, Wizards of the Coast. They have an article up uh, as we record it on November 30th. It'll likely be up as we post this. But they are requesting uh, people fill out a survey about the vast array of of spells in the player's handbook. This survey asks some demographic questions. It asks, um, but the bulk of it is asking your satisfaction level with a slew of spells out of the PHP. Now it doesn't touch on absolutely every one of them, but there are quite a few. (laughs) It took took us a while to go through all of them. Uh, It also asks if you have ever cast these spells in game, both as a player and a DM, or if you never have. And it seems like they're trying to get in as much information as they can about the spellbook of D&D to tweak some things, make some changes for an eventual reprint of the player's handbook for a 5.5 edition, which I think absolutely should happen. Let's start with what kind of spells stood out to you as shockingly good or shockingly bad upon a reread? or uh, any any major exclusions from the list that they asked you about? Um, so, going through, I, I found that a lot of the spells that I, I was giving the, the either very strong thumbs up to or the very strong thumbs down to are just kind of the, the, the popular spells that we talk about in, in everyday D&D or that you see memes about online. Things like, it's like, oh, like I'm surprised they asked about revivify yeah like revivify it's a fine spell i don't know if i have a strong like or dislike of it um but then it's like you know they did they did have pretty much all of the resurrection spells on the list to review which we can get to in a moment but but yeah like the things like here actually the low level spells were the ones that i was finding going yes these are these are the ones that I like, you know, that your eldritch blast your can't other cantrips like that guidance um the ones that I don't want to say became popularized in um, online shows, but the ones that were definitely exemplified. Uh, and then the ones that we've always talked about being bad, you know. Um, true Strike. Uh, true Strike, <laughs> yes. Resistance. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah th- those are the ones that really stood out to me. Okay. What about you? What What stood out to me isn't really the inclusion or lack thereof an inclusion of certain spells, but what I was finding myself rating the various elemental damage type spells your fireball and flame strike and burning hands versus your lightning bolt 
and incidentally, that's kind of about it. <laughs> your your cone of cold, and I think it really this is a good opportunity for at the very end. There's a box to type in any opinions that you have, and one of the big ones that I brought up was the ver the differences in fire type spells versus every other elemental damage type and how fire has gotten a whole lot of love. There's a wide variety of spells. There's a lot of overlap in use case of various fire-based spells, which kind of makes some parts of the lists for fire spells particularly unnecessary, especially after third level fire spells. Like why would you cast flaming sphere over fireball in most instances? Mm -hmm. Yes, flaming sphere lasts on the field, but it's very similar. And when you look at comparable spells of different damage types fire always seems just to be better this is this is me really really uh sounding the clacks on if you will for uh my beloved lightning damage big fan of the lightning damage as you know my wizard lucian in your game mm -hmm. big big user of the lightning type type damage and the the quintessential lightning spell lightning bolt third level spell is meant to be kind of the antithesis or or a, a co-spell of elemental damage type at third level to Fireball. And the damage on Lightning Bolt is very good. But the key flaw in Lightning Bolt is that it is a line damage spell. It is a five-foot line. I think it would be a lot more useful if it were a ten-foot line. But it is a line spell, making it very difficult to line up more than two mm -hmm. creatures at a time, which... I, with fireball, you can consistently be hitting three, four, five, ten creatures if you space it out properly. You can fix that with other elemental spells. Your cone of cold, but what level is cone of cold? Cone of cold is pretty high up there. I can't remember exactly, but yes, chain lightning. What level is chain lightning? It's like it's, it's level seven. It's level seven. You know, and chain lightning, a great spell, really should be like a fourth or fifth level spell. And maybe knock a dice off of the damage. It really comes... When, when you get to these damaging spells, it's usually single target versus AoE. Mm -hmm. And one of the quintessential single target D&D spells, Disintegrate, primarily fire damage. One of the quintessential AoE spells, Fireball, fire damage. And it really isn't a benefit to branching out and doing these different elemental types. Uh, your uh, Sleet Storm, a little bit of ice damage, and it helps with knocking concentration interesting effects on other elemental damage types but if you're running just damage you really run fire or you don't do anything it's also to note that in the monster manual fire is one of the most common resistances that creatures have mm. um but that being said uh there was one spell that kind of caught my eye when that we're talking about this and that's um fire shield Mm. which uh very underrated fire spell in my opinion very underrated but very unique it is i think the only one that i read through besides like elemental weapon elemental weapon of course cast on a weapon add an extra d4 of whatever elemental damage type you choose um pretty simple magic weapon but better slightly magic magic weapon the magic weapon spell was one of my low, low yeah. point spells low yeah um but fire shield actually specifically said you do fire damage unless you're using the cold variation of it in which case you do cold damage uh which is interesting that a spell called fire shield would have a cold variant right i think i think the the, the survey in my uh, uh actually kind of touching on this 
was a little lacking because the the rankings were you know very dissatisfied dissatisfied slightly dissatisfied and then the same and then the same for the satisfied or not applicable when it's like I like these spells for different reasons, or I dislike these spells for different reasons, and like I might be, and that was my problem. I was finding myself going through and going, "This spell is fine," or "This there's there's very few instances where I went that spell is bad or that spell is good." There there was no properly rated or adequate or neutral option, which right. I did find slightly frustrating. Or I also I I just needed uh, a space. And not just at the end, like uh, the, the you know there was a text box at the end, like you said, but like there, uh, you mentioned it, lightning train lightning, great spell, way too high level. I needed something in in that survey to let me say that, like, oh, this is good, but I don't want to you know wait till I have fifth level spells yeah. or or um or maybe this spell is good if it were bumped to damage die. Agreed. The survey was done in pages of about eight to 10 spells per page, and then you had to rate them. Having a text box at the bottom of each one of those pages so that you could call out these spells specifically would be a lot better than having to wait all the way to the end. Because I'm sure I had a lot of thoughts while I was filling it out that I just simply forgot by the time I got to the end. And that's just kind of a flaw in setting up the survey. But I mean, a survey is a survey. It's, all, it's always going to be flawed and it's always going to have to be taken with a grain of salt. Some other spells, let's talk spells that stand out to us as particularly bad spells okay. right now. And I've got a couple here on my list, but I want to point out five spells in particular. All right, let's go for it. True Strike hmm. and Resistance. We'll put we'll put, put we'll put those together. Cantrips Resistance give is concentration. True Strike concentration to simply either gain resistance to a damage type for one attack for one person, or in the case of True Strike, to get advantage on an attack for one attack for one person yourself. Hmm. In the case of True Strike, and the math is very, very clear that pretty much doing literally anything else other than casting those spells is going to be more efficient use of your turn. Oh, yeah, because if you look at True Strike specifically, it says you it's an action. You cast the spell, and you get advantage on the next attack against a target. Or I could attack the target once this turn, and I could attack it once next turn and have the same number of die rolls. Yes. Advantage is you get two die rolls. Making two attacks over two turns is still two die rolls, and there's the benefit that you could hit twice. Mm-hmm. It, it and uh, true strike is just genuinely the worst. <laughs> and short of I'm gonna ca- and short of like all right, I need everyone to roll initiative, and you guys manage to like get a spell off before initiative starts, maybe. But you shouldn't be taking up one of your cantrip slots with something like that. Same with resistance. You shouldn't be spending your concentration and your action to simply give one person resistance to damage for one attack. Mm -hmm. They're really not that great. Now, if they were, say, bonus action cantrips, which I do not believe there is a bonus action cantrip. No, I believe you're. I believe you're correct. I believe most um, those. Now, if those spells were simply bonus action cantrips. Suddenly, I feel like they would be top-tier cantrips, that like must-takes in a lot of situations. If they were concentration, maybe less so. But if you don't have a concentration spell up and you're casting, you say as a bonus action, you cast the cantrip True Strike, and then you cast Disintegrate, you suddenly have advantage on your Disintegrate. Now, that kind of catapults these spells into must-takes, and I'm sure wizards would not want to do that. It seems like they're purposefully staying away from the bonus action cantrip for some reason. 
and I don't think I would really want that. Yeah. But that's the only way I could see these spells really being viable, short of just a complete rework on what they actually do. The other three... Well, I have a pair of spells and then one more. Okay. The next pair of spells, to find spells. Specifically, find traps and find the path. Mm. Is there any reason to cast find traps over simply checking for traps? There, I mean, there, there's, there's an argument that can be made, you know. So I do, I mean, I know in previous versions of D&D, in original versions... Only only rogues or roguelike characters could check for traps. Like, that was a special thing you could do with your class. And so I think that, uh, you know, check for traps, you could, again, like, again, you could make the argument to say, maybe no one has good investigation, or, you know, it's just the easiest thing to do. But, but no, I, I agree with you. I would not take it. I would not cast it. Agreed. Checking for traps doesn't require a resource. It requires a role and an action. Mm-hmm. Casting a spell slot to find non-magical traps, I might add. The find trap spell does not help distinguish any magical sort of trap. A glyph of warning it would not find. It only finds actual, real, physical, mechanical traps. And then find the path. If you have a good DM that is willing to help you out, which every DM should. Every DM, should. the goal should be, we're going to tell the story, we're going to have a good time. Having your characters just constantly get lost because they don't know where the fuck they're going... Unless it is a plot point of like a location and they buy into it, you don't need find the path. And there's a lot of better ways to find out that information. I but, think find the path might also be something from antiquity. I mean, again, more like if you think about it, old again, in original D&D, uh, you know, it was your dungeon master would have a dungeon, like a literal dungeon. And mm -hmm. you would, that would be the whole thing. You started in town. You heard about the dungeon, you went to the dungeon, you went through the dungeon. And so that being the the goal is to get through the dungeon and that's that's how you that's how you track your progress. How many rooms do we make it through? If your DM's throwing, you know, extra rooms in there or trap rooms or things like that, you might want to take that. But yes, as a as a modern D&D system where uh, uh, maps are more of a supplement mm -hmm. as opposed to a necessity. Yeah. I yeah. think that you are, again, correct that find the paths, path, not super helpful. Not super helpful. The last spell that I have, this is more of an example spell for a category. Cordon of Arrows. Mm. For the category of ranger exclusive spells. <laughs> <laughs> I love the ranger, and I love the concept and theory behind Cordon of Arrows. You take your arrows, you stick them in the ground, you put some magic juju on them, and if a target comes within range of those arrows, they immediately zip up and they shoot at them. Why would a ranger cast pretty much any spell that requires an action when they could simply shoot their arrows? Now, Cordon of Arrows, I like. It's setting a trap. It's fun. It's neat. The damage, eh. But, I mean, it's an arrow. It's fine. There are a lot of ranger spells, particularly of first and second level, that require an action. That in pretty much any instance, you just mathematically would be, again, much like True Strike and Resistance, you're just mathematically better just shooting your arrows. Especially as a half-caster with delayed spellcasting, you're going to have extra attack before you're going to have access to third and fourth and fifth level spells where you can get really good spells like your Conjure Volley or Conjure Barrage. The lower level ranger spells, very underwhelming. I think they need a rework. With the, with the exception of really Hunter's Mark. Though I would... Re I, 
I'm in the camp that Hunter's Mark should truly be Ranger exclusive. Take it off the Paladin, what is it, the Vengeance list? Yes, I believe so. And make it not Concentration. But that's just me. That one's kind of that. That's kind of a vague category, but I just, I just I really love the Ranger, <laughs> and I know the Ranger is going to get a lot of re, a lot of reworks here for five point five, and I just really I just really want them to be a top tier class because I want to play them more. Yeah, Ranger <laughs> has been uh, has been you know in the in the meme category of classes for a long time now, just because again the concept is there probably for an older edition, and and the rework has never really been done. But yeah, I, I think that one of the interesting ones that I did see on the Ranger lift, list um, is, I believe it's Ranger specific, is Swift Quiver. Swift Quiver, yes. Yep. I, it, it, brought in, in, it brought into perspective two things for me. Um, one, it allows you to fire twice. Mm-hmm. Um, good. Very good at low levels. But the other one that it brought in uh, is something that we I, w- discuss- I, w- I would like to point out. Swift Quiver, fifth level spell. Is it? Yes. Then why? It, it basically allows you to attack a third time instead of just the normal extra attack two attacks. I would argue for a ranger, you can let them attack five. You can let them attack five times, and it would be balanced. <laughs> Another thing from I think antiquity is the resource tracking of it gives you infinite ammo. Yep. I've I I don't know anybody that actually tracks ammo unless it's like special ammo. Yes, um, I have a I have a gunslinger in my long running Magitech campaign, and I do my best to try and keep him honest about keeping track of his ammunition because in our world, firearms are exceptionally rare, with the exception of one nation's army that has specialists that have guns. So it's not you can't go into a weapon shop or a firearm shop. Firearm shops don't exist, so he has to often craft a lot of his. Uh, he like he, a lot of my characters in that campaign like to have a little bit of crafty, craftingness, craftiness. One of those words. They like to craft. <laughs> I have a forge cleric. I have a sorcerer that has a backstory where they come from a Magitech manufacturing family and all that kind of stuff. So I'll have him keep track of it as he's creating. Also, a couple different types. He has a couple different types of guns. A cartridge-based ammunition that actually functions like a modern bullet versus like. A powder, a loose powder and ball bearing style bullets that you would have to load into like a musket mm-hmm. style thing, as well as special arcane things that we haven't quite gotten to yet. So keep an eye out for that, Quentin. Well, the last section of the the survey was, have you cast this as a player, as a DM or that, not at all? When I, when I got to that section, I was very pleased because I feel like that w- that kind of really is going to put in perspective these opinions that everyone is going to be submitting on this survey. Casting a spell as DM versus a player, very, very different. Very different expectations. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to get a lot of information on spells like purify food and drink or create destroy water or control weather or those kind of things that most people haven't cast them. Mm-hmm. And when you really think about it, a spell like create food and water or purify food and drink breaks world building in a lot of sense there's why would there be a world that has starvation if you can cast a fairly low level spell mm-hmm. to just create water and i'm sure that the, and there would be people and you might be able to tie it in that there are these altruistic people that are going out and casting the spell a lot so to help the starving masses but it, it kind of it takes away a little bit of your gritty realism and 
takes the lower the lowest class of society and kind of brings them up to an unrealistic level that would kind of pull me out <laughs> i mean on that same note well uh, uh i think tasha's actually even takes takes it more into the fantasy uh because it points out that the cities and the and the farmers even might maybe that's that's the whole thing they do the there's a image in tasha's where a farmer is casting magic missile shaped as chickens to defend his farm and they say maybe uh maybe the army learns teaches all of their new recruits to cast low-level spells so if a troll gets within 120 feet of a wall 17 guys just let loose a magic missile all over the place and the troll is no longer uh an issue but yeah that kind of a lot of these spells are there to take away the thought process almost of of resource resource handling resource management Mar yes uh management of like the rations of the ammunition and that might not have just been a you know a, a thing that was it's a large system D D is itself a large system and has many forms and through the years has changed so much that again a lot of these things have probably been brought in from antiquity some have been put in like oh they might need these to make your life easier down the way for what it is yes a lot of that can it would be it would be really hard to do a, tr a gritty realism campaign and tell your players hey uh you can't take purify food and water that's not a spell yeah i mean if you're doing a gritty realism campaign there's going to be a lot of spells that you need to address like goodberry for example but it's always something you should discuss with your players before you just start eliminating things Agreed. from their game. Agreed. Let's discuss the highs from the spell list. Because there are a lot, some of them possibly, I don't have any, but possibly borderlining on overpowered. Okay. I don't think that there is truly any spell in D&D &D that is objectively overpowered with one exception. Well, two, technically, wish, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's the whole point of the spell. Right. I think Polymorph needs, a, and I'm gonna, I'm sure people are gonna hate it, needs a little bit of reworking and probably a little limitation. Bumping it up to a fifth level spell, keeping it the same, or reduce the types of things you can transform into. I am firmly in the I don't like Polymorph camp, not because it's a bad spell. It's a very, very good spell. I just, for me, my casters, it, it doesn't seem like something that I would want to do. Very utility, very good in combat, but Polymorph is like the really, truly only overpowered spell in my mind. You can make an argument for healing word, bonus action healing that can pop people up from zero, but I think that's just part of the mechanics and design of death in the game. I feel like Polymorph is the one spell that could truly be eliminated and would fix a lot of problems that come up in D&D games, quote unquote problems. Hmm. Or or could handle a good rework to kind of tone it down a little bit. More like the Druid Wild Shape, where it's a bit more limited in the types of things at certain levels that you can transform into, challenge rate, reduce the challenge rating, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Beyond that, what are some of your what are some of your favorite spells that you saw? What spells do you really like? So as I was reading through, I actually found one that I hadn't seen, somehow I had never seen before, and I've I've looked over the player's handbook many, many times. Um, I, think, I think we might both have this one on, your, on the list. What is it? What, what was yours? Uh, mine was, what is it? It's Gates and Corridors. Oh, no. Yeah, I had not. That one, 
I had never seen that one. And again, I've looked over. Of course, there are now five hundred some spells in D and D. That one, it's 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 a spell to create your own layer almost. Um, I mean, between that and what guards and wards, guards and wards, those spells just kind of are in my mind DM spells for how to logic your way through magical layers, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I did not know that was a spell. Yeah, I thought you were going to say circle of power. Oh, not my new circle of power. What? Yeah, I, I, I knew about a lot of the aura spells, and I knew about like teleportation circle and magic circle. Did not know about the circle of power. Which, by the way, incidentally, a great spell for those of you like me that did not know what circle of power was. Fifth level abjuration, a little bit high level, concentration up to ten minutes. I presume this is a paladin spell. Thirty foot radius, self. So the spell ends, moves with the sphere moves with you, centered on you. Friendly creatures in the area, including you, have advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. And if they succeed on a spell that is a save or half damage spell, they take no damage instead. Resistance to magic damage, very, very good. That's why a lot of the, there's a lot of min-maxing builds that you find on YouTube and such, where they're they're talking up the Yanti, they're talking up the Satyr, these naturally magic-resistant races. Circle of Power, I liked it. I didn't know that it existed. In hindsight, if it's a Paladin exclusive spell at 5th level, much like Swift Quiver, probably never going to see it in actual play, right. but a good spell. What are some of your good spells? What do you like? Um, I don't know if I have any that I that I would pick out off the top of my head that that, that again we, that aren't just already very popularized. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, bless is a great spell. Great. Bane is a great spell. Um, I mean, they're just polar opposites. Aforementioned healing word. Aforementioned healing word. Yeah, I don't. I don't... I don't think I have too many that I was that I that just stood out to me that said I I've I've never cast this spell and I really really want to. Mm. I mean there there are some spells that are super cool, um, not in the DM, not in the PHB. Uh, for example, the Illusory Dragon. Mm, yes, yes, we've experienced the illusion the Illusory Dragon in a one shot. Yes, ours. it was neat. It was neat. Uh, also, the very first TikTok on our TikTok page. That is true. That is, is very is, true. Is me recording Darren describing how his illusory dragon tears a hole in the fabric of reality and steps through into a desert. Yeah. So that's that fun. That was fun. Feel free to spend a couple minutes scrolling on our TikTok page to find that out. Some of my favorite spells, standout spells. Some of them, very, very popular. Counterspell. Of course. Crucial. Love counterspell. I love the limitations of counterspell. It doesn't just, I mean, of equal or lesser value, it does. Just cancel the spell. Counter it, if you will. Unlike the Magic of the Gathering version of Counterspell, which just negates anything. Fucking hate that card. <laughs> Ruins all of my strategies in MTG Arena. Fly. A classic. Fly. Great spell. Greater invisibility, as well as regular invisibility. Lovely spells. Love Disguise you. self. Great spell. Featherfall. Niche. Very useful. Very good. Reaction spells in general, I'm a big fan of. Reaction spells are good. Um, Featherfall, I will say... Depending on the you know the setting of the campaign, like if you're on a if you in a city campaign or or maybe a floating city campaign where you got like tall structures, you need a quick getaway, just jump off the building. Yep. As as I as I'm talking about reaction spells, obviously shield, love shield, absorb elements, great spells, must have for eldritch knights, must have for arcane trickster rogues, must have for bladesinger wizards. I think really every wizard should take the shield spell. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. That is. 
Very astute observation. Thank you. Underrated. Oft forgot, unless you are playing a tiefling, Hellish Rebuke. Oh, I love Hellish Rebuke. Also, Warlock love, spell. Love Hellish Rebuke. Great, great spell. Again, a reaction spell. Love reaction spells. Um, and a reaction Ooh. spell that does damage. My favorite reaction spell. My favorite reaction spell is a six level spell. Okay. Is in Xanathar, so it's ah, not. It's yes. not part. It's not part of this this list. But Soul Cage. Soul Cage. So fucking cool. It is thematic. It is. It 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 it, it, it evokes imagery. That's interesting and evil and cool. And it's a spell that gives you a plethora of options to do with it. And it lasts for a while as well. Big, big, big fan of Soul Cage. Make it a fourth level spell. Because, well, it is very powerful. It's not sixth level powerful. It's fourth mm. level powerful. It's no, more, it's no more powerful than Polymorph. We touched on this briefly earlier. Revivify. Revivify, yes. All of the resurrection spells were on the survey. They were. What do you think of the resurrection system? Because I, I clearly, the reason that they put all of the resurrection spells on the survey is because they want more information on the resurrection system in D and D, especially with the prevalence of uh, prevalence of Matthew Mercer's version of resurrection, making it a skill challenge, with the exception of Revivify, I believe. No, I believe mid combat he doesn't make them do the. The yeah. uh, the skill challenge. Yeah, I mean it's it's strong to call it a system because like the entirety uh, like obviously combat is is a system. It's a very thought out thing. The spell casting system and then just plopped on top of that. Um, I I think that the resurrection does need to be more of a system like like the the homebrew version Matt Mercer uses mm -hmm. just because. Well, depending on how uh, how disposable you want life to be in the campaign, you know, if you want life to stay somewhat sacred, you got to make it a little harder. If you want, if you if you're this is a this is just a meat grinder, and you might you know your character is going to go down. So as soon as your uh, cleric hits fifth level, they better have revivify and they better save all of their third level spells to do it. That's another thing. But yeah, I think that right now. It's just very, it's just a very simple, they died, they get back up. More like a phoenix down um, in, in Final Fantasy. I would, I would like, there's quite a few resurrection type spells. I really think there should be two. Revivify, which is your battlefield EMT giving a freaking defibrillator to you to get you back up. Mm -hmm. I think that's fine. I could see an argument for making it fourth level. Fifth level feels like. There's probably a lot of people in a world that are fifth level in universe in terms of skill level and having a spell like revivify being available to a lot of people just kind of, it again, makes for wacky world building. And I think the other one that should exist is true resurrection. And that should be it. A ninth level, a ninth level, extremely powerful. There's only going to be like less than five people in the world that can cast this of an extremely expensive spell that is basically going to be reserved for personal high clerics of like a king and maybe a high priest of a church. And then of course your godlike player characters mm -hmm. making it, exp I think the cost because a spell like resurrection or it, it, I've always felt that it's, it really just feels like a, 
Use a spell slot, and you can turn money into life. All of these spells. Revivify, I think, is fine as is because of the very, very tight time limit to mm-hmm. it. But all of the other resurrection spells do just kind of feel like spend money, you have life again. And I think that really should only be reserved for the highest possible type of that, which would be true resurrection. Because okay. I think I think if you die, they can't defibrillate you back to life on the battlefield. Make a new character. Or maybe make it a quest for the rest of the party and a temporary character to go find someone that can cast true resurrection or gather the funds or influence to make that happen, you know? I think uh, I think if it were that way, that actually might bring up. If you were to eliminate what is the what is the what that spell? What is the mid level resurrection spell? Resurrection. Um, I thought it was raised dead. Oh um, well, raised dead. Raised dead. I also think should get a little bit of a tweak to make it more of a necromancy specific spell. I think it might bring up the the. It might uh, lift up the uh, number of players who are choosing to take things like spare the dying mm-hmm. and gentle repose. It would it would make those spells more worth taking mm-hmm. by the nature of that small tweak to the resurrection system would make these lower tier spells that we didn't talk about previously worth taking more. And I, I completely agree with that on the on the subject of raise dead. I think it would be interesting to make raise dead a make it like more of a necromancy style thing where you can reanimate a dead. Well, there is kind of that spell of reanimating. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. But to really hammer that home, maybe Raise Dead is going to be a proper resurrection spell to raise uh, a, a fallen party member that has been expired for a little while. Maybe pull something like the Hollow One from Wildmount. Maybe give them a lasting ramification sign of that death that like stays with them. And they can get an interesting feature like a Frightening Presence mm-hmm. because they are literally an undead at that point. And make that a story. Make that a story moment. I would love that if Raised Dead had a little bit more of an impact, made a person more undead. And that's the and that's the drawback. You weren't you weren't able to get like defibrillator shocked back to life. Your party didn't magically preserve your corpse. Your party wasn't able to stop you from dying in the first place with a spare dying or a healing word. And because you all are not high enough level to truly resurrect a dead person, here's a last here's a lasting impact of that moment for the rest of the game. I, uh, I think that on the the spell th- side of things, one thing I do like that Wizards of the Coast has done, and probably earlier versions of the game have done, is they've given the the mechanical how tos of the spell, and then maybe a little bit of extra like flavor text, which has actually I I did the side story first so uh uh giant insect the spell oh, i fucking hate that spell yes i know yeah I would. <laughs> it's, uh it's also not that good it's not that good it's yeah you should just take summon anything um, anything summon anything anything from tasha's instead <laughs> but the spell says uh, you you select so many of a different type of insect in the area and you can make them giant insects make a bee you know make like five bees and a giant wasps whatever what if you're on the ocean i guess you could make lobsters into giant what if you're well scorpions in a desert what if you're at the top of a mountain but exactly well the the thing is that the 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 system tries to put in maybe limitations i don't know if that's the idea or just trying maybe somebody was just trying to have fun and add flavor 
But then it really annoyed me when my players were like, we're fighting giant spiders, right? I'm like, yes, you are currently fight. There are three giant spiders right in front of you. They were actually phase spiders. That's not important. Love phase spider. Hate a phase spider. I love the phasing part where they go away. But but the idea is you grow these insects and then they're under your control. So they're like, oh, we can just, I just cast a spell and they're under my control. I looked at it and said, no, that's not how the spell works. This is taking small ones and making them big. Uh, to that point, when they add a lot of flavor or when they try to, you know, make the spell story implemented or story implementing, I think that brings confusion and uh, general gross feeling when you're trying to take the spell. Yeah. Uh, not in this, not in the survey because it's in Tasha's, I believe. Uh, one that I really hate is, I believe it's called Dream of the Blue Veil. Well, the thing about Dream of the Blue Veil is that it is literally, it's not, if you're a player, you're not supposed to take that spell. Exactly. It should be in a module. And that's it. Hmm. Actually, that brings up a point I would like to, I would like to speak on, unless you have anything else. Okay. I do think that there should be not necessarily keeping spells hidden from players, but kind of keeping spells back in the DMG. Some of them. I completely agree with that. Take guards and wards, your gates and corridors, your dream of the blue veil. These, the spells that are clearly meant to be DM spells. Nistel's magic aura, mm. for example, as well. They, uh, and maybe even some, some more powerful spells like that a player would want. And, and this actually ties into how I feel about magic items. Some of the magic items should be in the uh, PHB things that you can like, Hey, if your DM allows it, look, you know of these things. Same with the spells. Look, you know of some of these spells. Maybe the, the details are kept in the DMG, but this is a quest. This is a reward. This is something that the players can work for mm -hmm. and, and, and quest for to actually get, which, you know, I, I, I would love to give my players more spells as rewards. Like, oh, you're a wizard and you worked really, you know, you worked really hard. Maybe you did the research. Maybe you studied on this guy for a long time. All right. I guess you can have this spell that you were planning on taking anyway next turn for free. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, but instead being able to be like, hey, you did the thing you put in the work. Here's a spell that's not necessarily readily available to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, a podcast in the near future where there isn't any big D&D &D related news going on, we could get really into the weeds of magic items and spells and f how to hand out outside of leveling benefits to your players. I'm a big fan mm. of free spells. I'm a big fan of free feats as we can get into in another podcast. Write that down for the next podcast. I completely agree. There should be a spells section in the DMG for DM specific spells. And I would argue that there are some spells like maybe hold back wish and true resurrection and make that something they have to earn outside of simply just I'm 17th level now. Mm. That, that's that's a really good suggestion, Sam. You did good. We need to contact we need to contact the Wizards of the Coast uh, D and D development team. Wizards of the Coast, if you're watching right now, they um, aren't. They, they aren't. aren't. No. We had a little bit of th we had something at the end, but we're about an hour and ten minutes into our recording session. I think that I think this is a good place to simply take any inquiries that we find in the uh, the TikTok Live comment section. Sure. If you want to submit a question, comment, or concern to the podcast. You can tweet at us at the Dungeon Bros. 
you can join our Discord server. There's an entire text channel for podcast-related questions where we will answer. But for now, we will check out uh, the comment section on our TikTok Live, and uh, we'll answer any of those questions. Any good, any good ones? All right. Well, we have Joe Vaney Lolman. He says, I, f- I fell bad for you, other guy on Fortnite. Don't know what that means. Hmm. Hmm. Brandon... Lafferty09 says, I think the game needs more elemental damage dealing spells other than fire. Agreed. I played uh, very a dis- much agreed. I played a descent into Avernus Sorcerer and took transmute uh, transmute ma- metamagic to replace fire damage. Which mm-hmm. interestingly enough, actually in Tosh's, uh, the College of Scribes Wizard also has an ability specifically to transmute um, spell damage. Mm-hmm. As, uh, as we discussed earlier, my wizard Lucian in your campaign, there are several spells that he has that are not proper D&D spells because they are simply D&D spells with a lightning damage type coat of paint over top of them. Mm-hmm. The uh, Voltaic Bolt, for example. It's just Firebolt, but it's lightning instead of... Why is there not... Oh my gosh, why is there not a lightning damage dealing cantrip in D&D? Shocking Grasp. That shoots a bolt of lightning. Oh. Shocking grasp is yeah, it's it's, it's a, fine. Shocking grasp, shocking grasp is fine. Very overrated. Chill touch, fine. Overrated. Even though it's not even a touch spell. No. Nor is it, it a it chill is, spell. <laughs> it's not a cold spell either. Ah! Why there isn't a? I want to shoot a fucking lightning bolt at someone. That is just a cantrip is beyond me why that doesn't exist already it should moving on all right uh randy rizzo oh true strike should allow you to pull a modifier if you hit like what's the monster's wisdom modifier or strength mod oh so that's that's kind of a that's kind of a monk well actually no not a monk thing this is a cobalt soul monk this is a a a homebrew class from critical role the cobalt soul monk has a feature like that where when they hit with a flurry of blows, they get a a list of stat information from from the monster that they hit. That is an that is an interesting addition. Give I it a, give it an additional utility. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if that would make it worth taking as it's still an action, and you would have to commit two rounds to simply get advantage on an attack and then learn some information. I think if they made true strike. A bonus action spell removed the advantage from the attack and simply made it if you hit on an attack or spell this turn you can learn one of these things i think that would make it interesting i think that would too i don't know if that's true strike at that point i think you just have a, a nice interesting cantrip there but i, I like i like where your head's at you know like where some, your head's at you know something we should look at in the future is uh, that chart you have that you found of, mm, yes. of upgraded non-damage cantrips. Yes, if you, I believe I found the download for it on Reddit, but if you search uh, on Google or your search engine of choice for um, D&D cantrip leveling on Reddit, it is a, it lists pretty much all of the non-damage dealing cantrips and much like how the damage dealing cantrips get an extra die at certain levels of damage, these cantrips get expanded uses uh, as you level up. Like Dancing Lights lets you shed slightly more light, and then by the time you're all the way up, Dancing Lights, you can form your Dancing Lights into a glowing humanoid form. 
uh, expands your the uses of like prestidigitation and thaumaturgy. It makes, I believe, it makes true strike and resistance like kind of okay <laughs> by tacking on a whole lot of extra shit. But yeah, look look into that. Look into that. If you are on the YouTube video version of this podcast, I'm going to make a note here. You can find it in a link in the description of the YouTube video for the podcast. Um, Randy Rizzo zero uh, says uh, when we when we're talking about Cordon of Arrows, Cordon of Arrows is more or less, as I see it, a prep spell for large hordes set in your vantage point. Yeah. Which yeah, I I kind of wish there were maybe more um spells like that it would it would totally it would not totally change but it would give another option for how you could run encounter you know combat encounters because mm -hmm. you know you guys i mean you can run it right now you see them coming they are you you know that they're going to come through here you can ambush them sure but you know besides getting your surprise round if everybody jumps down and attack and somebody casts it like there's not that many trap spells or like prep spells necessarily yeah proper proper traps proper spells. trap spells yeah i've I've always loved the like implicit flavor of ranger spells where it's they're they're fitting it into the spellcasting mechanic for the mechanics of it, but a lot of them do really read to me as just like cool powers that the ranger has and is able to do of setting a trap setting traps with arrows. And they make it they make the like logical mechanics of it simple by being like, eh, you stab it into the ground and magic happens. Mm -hmm. I love that spell. If it dealt just like a little bit more damage, had a little bit wider radius of effect, very good. Be tasty. Big fan. And even even as a like right before initiative thing, it'd be great. You set it at your feet and then you're a ranger. And if something's coming up to attack you physically, they're going to take damage when they approach you sort of a thing. The more I talk about it, the the less it sounds like one of the low spells that I have on my list. <laughs> I just really like the ranger and I find a reason to make their spells pretty decent. <laughs> I mean, the the ranger has again historically been one of those that everybody wants to rewrite for, and yet here we are without cannot, it. Cannot. The Zen the Xanathar subclasses, I really do think, make the ranger good, like legitimately good. Period. Period. Not great. Not great. They're good. They're good. Moving on. Uh, last one here from Shrek has chlamydia. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my swamp. <laughs> And it sure is swampy. Might sting a little too. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man, I hope Shrek has chlamydia is still watching because that's a fucking username right there. Jeez. Shrek has chlamydia asks us how to make an actual ch how to make actual challenges in campaign with a twenty level party. Twentieth level party. That's... The, easy, the easy answer is Tarask, <laughs> but I feel like the Tarask isn't very interesting. I honestly that uh that is in that is something we would have to go away come back and do basically an entire podcast on. Yeah, that that is a very broad question because it also a level 20 a level 20 wizard and a level 20 cleric are very very different from a level 20 fighter and a level 20 ranger and a level 20 monk. 20th level spell if you have a party of 12, 20th level spellcasters uh good fucking luck. Yeah. Pretty much nothing is going to be a challenge for them if they picked good spells. The best way to challenge a very, very high-level party, broad strokes, don't make an enemy that can be defeated by hit point damage. Mm -hmm. Give them hit points, and then if the players break through a threshold, maybe the enemy is stunned 
or can't take legendary actions for a round or two, some sort of effect. But to defeat them, they need to accomplish a task. The Vecna fight at the end of campaign one of Critical Role is a great idea of that, of setting the trammels and then having to recite a magic tome to send him away to another, to beyond the divine gate. I love that idea. Very, very balancing, very high level encounters is very difficult. And again, we could do an entire podcast, but I think if you're a broad strokes approach, removing damage as the way to defeat the enemy would no. be a great place to start. And then, I mean, just it, kind of general uh, advice when it comes to uh, like a, like an adventuring day or how how a campaign you know day should could go. If you're if you're just letting your party go Nova on or use, if you're putting the monster in front of it. it fully rested party um, they're going to go nova they're going to use all their powers and abilities and skills and wipe that thing out quick uh, part of it is going to be that lead up how are you going to get them to expend some of their resources so that when they get to that fight they're not just you know they're not yeah. just killing it immediately um another great way make it as as i believe we discussed briefly on the last episode or some episode at some point it may have been the first episode Make your boss a multi-stage boss. Mm. If you've played any Final Fantasy before, you know what that is. The smaller the smaller stage, they're humanoid still, and you're fighting, and then they beat him. And then he's, like, bigger and, like, a monster, and then you might beat him. And then maybe, like, one final showdown again with, like, a souped-up version of the little humanoid. Or maybe just the big monster is good enough. Again, an example that you can see in Critical Role of the dual of the end of Campaign Two. Spoilers if you have not watched Campaign Two yet. But kind of like the two tiered fight against Molly Mock. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's look at look at your favorite video games. Look at your favorite uh, other you know, other sorts of media, and you'll sure. definitely see some some suggestions of how. You got these high-level characters, how to actually challenge oh, them. My favorite video game series of all time, Kingdom Hearts. They love doing that. Of mm -hmm. You fight this version of the bad guy, and then you fight this version of the bad guy, and then you fight this version of the bad guy, all in the same boss fight. The entire final boss fight, the entire final boss of Kingdom Hearts 2 is like five bosses <laughs> in sequence. And in a D&D &D setting where you have limited resources that you can't easily heal through or that don't regenerate like in a video game, it's going to, it's going to really test these high-level players because they're going to have access to pretty much anything they want. They're going to have dope magic items. The spellcasters are going to have a massive number of spell slots in addition to like literally world-bending and changing magic that can affect society. So yeah. Multi-stage, maybe ignore hit points as the main means of defeating. Any other comments? No, that's it. Um, that's, that is all that they wrote. That's that all, all she wrote. Her. That's all he wrote. That's all anyone wrote. That's all they wrote. That's all... It's all whatever, wrote. What, you whatever, have to do it from memory. Whatever, whatever, whatever pronoun you prefer, I don't really care. With that being said, I believe that brings us to our end here about an hour and 20 minutes in to this recording session probably not the if you if i if you if you look currently at the time left in the in this episode you might say connor you haven't been going for an hour and 20 you're going for 
however long this episode is. Yeah. Because I edit it. That's how that works. Yeah, we say we say um a lot. Yeah. Working on that. Got a little mean, better. I mean, it's not difficult to cut out. You do you. Regardless, this has been episode three of the Dungeon Bros podcast. You can find us on TikTok at Dungeon Bros YT. That is where we post most of our content. We have some good stuff up there. You can find us on YouTube as well at the Dungeon Bros. We post the podcast. We do some reposts. We're going to do some YouTube exclusive content here in the near future. Hopefully. 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 If we, we get around some, to that. We have some plans. You can find us on Twitter. It's a great place to interact with us if you have questions that you want read on the podcast. Uh, we also have a Twitch account that you will be able to follow eventually for live streaming content when we get to that, as well as you can join our Discord server. All of those links are going to be in the description of the YouTube video. You can also find it in the link tree in our TikTok. And Sam is gesturing to me I, that I just, we do, in fact, have another comment. Uh, I mean, I think this is perfect to end the um, the podcast on, or maybe just the live stream. Very good. Uh, and this is, again, from Shrek Has Chlamydia. Shrek. Shrek Has Chlamydia says, love you guys. Thank you for this amazing podcast. Shrek Has Chlamydia, thank you. Thank you, and I hope you find something to get that cleared up. Um, make sure that you disclose that with your sexual partners. <laughs> we need to have a podcast about... Uh, D&D STDs and how to implement that. I guess I'll go write something. The great foil of the bard. <laughs> See you guys. Right, in the meantime, <laughs> peace out.